Hello, everyone. Welcome to Let's Go Up Podcast Edition, where we explore the mysteries of the Kingdom of Heaven. We are your hosts. I'm Dean. And I'm Caritas. And Caritas. (laughs) Today we have a special guest, Mm -hmm. Bill Jackson, everybody. Bill Jackson. Also known as BJ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Welcome. Nice to be here. Thanks. BJ's a good friend, a longtime friend. Once again, we don't want to do the math on this. Mm-mm. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Before some of our listeners were born. That's right. <laughs> BJ was actually at our wedding. So that's how long I've known BJ. Wow. And that's... you've been married 40 years? There's, there <laughs> well, there it goes. <laughs> the cat's out of the bag yeah. now. <laughs> Thanks, <it>. Caritas. <laughs> All right. Okay. That is what she's like. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, that was supposed to be a secret? <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> no. And if it was, it won't be. Not yeah. for long. All right. BJ. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks ago, we had Michelle on, and you are married to Michelle. Yes, I am. What's that like? <laughs> it's always an adventure, that's for sure. I can say. She's more interesting than me, that's for sure. <laughs> and you've been married for a couple of years now. Yeah. And it's been a bit of a crazy journey for the two of you, but mm-hmm. here you are. Mm-hmm. So Michelle did such a good job a couple of weeks ago, and we thought, now we just have to have BJ as well. So fair enough. Okay. BJ, what's the craziest thing that you've ever done as a kid? One of the dumbest things I've ever done. (laughs) You grew up in? I was born in Michigan. So my dad uh, was a pastor, ordained minister, born a preacher's kid. Yep. By the time I was 16, I then counted up. I think I'd moved like seven or eight times. Yeah. That's a lot of moves. That's a lot of moves. So I had to right. adapt to people quickly and right. make quick friends and whatnot. So my dad was a, an ordained Wesleyan Methodist pastor. Okay. My mom was a crazy Pentecostal from Regina. So they met <laughs> in a place called Missionary Health Health Institute in Toronto. I, I thought you were going to say missionary <laughs> hell. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not how you look at it, right? So they, they met there and then got married. And, but what ended up happening is they ended up being home missionaries. So they would go kind of revive dying churches within oh, the Wesleyan okay. Methodist mm. denomination. So that's so why you moved. So that's much. how we got moved around so much, because I okay. guess there were a lot of dying churches they had to bring mm. back to life. So, so they would send your dad in to yeah. revive things. Yeah, yeah, they would. And then okay. he was pretty good at it. Mm. Yeah. All right. So the dumbest thing that you ever did. I like how you roll into that after it's like yeah. this beautiful the thing story then, of your dad. Let's and get to the it. real story. All right. Now here. tell us about the dumb stuff. How stupid right. were you? So we were living in a place called Dighton, Michigan. Beautiful property and a rope on a tree in the front yard. But the yard sloped down to the sidewalk. Mm. And so family was in, like cousins were in, aunts and uncles, and we'd planned to go out for the day. And we had a few minutes and we're waiting. So I'm, ah, you know, let's go swing on the rope. And that rope must, it must have been able to get kind of high if the lawn yeah. was sloped. Yeah. So we'd basically just pull the rope up and then nice. launch into eternity. We love eternity had, here on Let's We do. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so the rope had a loop in it, you know, and so I thought, ah, you know, I'll just put a stick in there and yeah, just kind of hang on that. Over, you yeah, gotta... you know, I got to be the superhero and fly <laughs> through the air. So my cousin was ticked off me. It's like, yeah, I want to turn. I'm like, okay, you know, you have your turn. So I put the stick in the rope, launched myself out while the stick broke. Oh, and I did a face plant right on the sidewalk in our front yard. Oh. Drove my teeth right through my lip, so I still have scars to this day, and broke my front teeth off and drove them up into my gum. 
Kind of changed plans for the day a little bit. And, I yeah, bet. Just a little. Yeah, a little bit. So, Did your I mean, cousin still like... She kind of felt bad. She just like literally said, well, I hope you fall. So she lived with this guilt. Yeah, guilt for a long time. She's like, I'm so sorry. No, it's, it was, okay, post-fall, yes. were they able to fix your teeth? It's still an ongoing process, but basically I was like half my teeth were broken off. I couldn't get them fixed until I was an adult. So your whole teenage years and so, childhood, oh yeah, you had like, no teeth? Yeah, I had half teeth. They were broken off and they were ugly, so I didn't smile. Did you tell people you were a hockey player or something? Did yeah, you the, make the story? Well, you know, Is that why you moved just, to Canada? I got to look like a Canadian. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Par <laughs> for the course. How did you end did, up in Canada? My mother's Canadian. Yes. yes. Your mom's Canadian, your mom's dad's Canadian. American. Yeah. yeah. And so... Crazy Pentecostal Canadian. Yeah, the, the crazy Pentecostal and the uh, Wesleyan Methodist Pilgrim Holiness dude. Dad did leave the ministry about when I was 12. His career was actually laying bricks and pastoring. That mm. paid the bills and then made a little extra over here. And he probably did some sermons on laying bricks, yeah, yeah, right? Probably. Like building, oh, totally. you know, good, yeah. strong foundations. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> My mom's family lived in Canada. Mm. So I had aunts in like, you know, Regina. And eventually a couple aunts moved to Calgary. And it got to the point where it's like, Maybe we should move somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, they had some conversations with my aunts, and of course my mom was thrilled to think about moving back to Canada. And so mm -hmm. in uh, 1976, I had just gotten my driver's license, drove from Owasso, Michigan, to Calgary, Alberta, with mom in the passenger seat. Mm -hmm. Dad was driving the big U-Haul. So yeah, so we moved to Calgary in 1976. Mm -hmm. So when I met you, we were traveling in a band, a missions band, mm -hmm. And you were playing trombone. Mm -hmm. You were part of the brass section. Yes. And you also sing, right? Rumor has it, yes. Rumor has it that yes. you sing. Sometimes. And I've heard you play piano as well. I did take piano lessons when I was younger, but gave up on that one. Mm -hmm. so. But you nailed chopsticks. You Absolutely. I always <laughs> pound it. Just pound it. But your first instrument is trombone. To be fair, my dad played trombone. Oh. So you had a heart for the ministry, obviously, and... Missions was a natural fit because your parents had a heart for missions. Yes, they did. That's where I met you was on a missions trip. Mm -hmm. To your point, like I've always had a heart to serve the Father. At one point in my life, I thought that was like being a pastor. Right. Because my grandpa was a pastor, my dad was a pastor, so of course, what else would I be? But always had a heart to serve the Father and came to salvation when I was eight years old mm -hmm. in a church in Michigan. Changed everything right here. Yeah. And so have always had a heart for wanting to share the gospel. It was awesome to be able to fulfill part of that with traveling with the yeah. group we did. Yeah. It was awesome. Nothing's changed. Still have a heart to want to please the Father. But without the trombone. You know what? The trombone has been inactive for a while now. But I feel oh. like a comeback is, yeah. uh, <laughs> is in the making I here. I saw the because. glimmer in your eye. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you do that? I should have brought it with. Oh, of course. Man. <laughs> you know what? I was thinking about that. So my dad used to tune pianos, and we had a piano tuner in the house. When you play trombone, you have to have a pretty good ear and know where the notes are because you're moving this slide thing up right. and down. And if you're off a little bit, it's not going to sound so good. Mm -hmm. I used to take dad's tuner, tune it to whatever note I want. So it was a G, and then I'd play G on the trombone. And if you know piano tuners, when all the little squiggly things line up, yeah. you're right on pitch. So I did that for hours. <laughs> like, what kind of geek does that? <laughs> it's like, that was me. I was the geek. But you're trying to get your pitch bang That's on. That's right, right. Dean thinks it's a perfectly normal behavior. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is, because <laughs> you're trying to train your ear exactly. for that perfect 
trombone yeah, you're pitch. a true yeah. artist there you go mm-hmm. then finally i decided i should probably do something else with my life well my mom was a catalyst for that i worked construction because my dad was a bricklayer so i worked with him and in construction and crews for years mm. and we lived in calgary and mom was like the winter's here kind of nasty are you sure yeah. you really want to you want to work outside yeah <laughs> in like minus yeah. 40 weather and... you kind of have to realize because we were with the same organization mm-hmm. so this is like a gap year on steroids sort of thing, okay? (laughs) So, you know, after school, you go on missions and you just sort of stay and you Mm. stay and Mm. you stay. And then one day you think to yourself, this probably isn't sustainable for the rest of my life, Mm. unless you have a real heart for missions, Mm. in which case, Mm. you know, you would probably want to go and train for that Mm. in some way. But but you did come back off traveling, and then you went to college. Yeah. Your mom talked you out of outdoor careers. Well, she just suggested maybe. The weatherman says skin freezes at. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You were talking about the Alberta weather. And I had worked in minus 40 degree weather, so yeah, Yeah. it was not fun. So I'd always loved sound, and I mean, my parents are musicians, so I grew up with music, and I loved it. And mm-hmm. So I remember some friends came over. They had a reel-to-reel machine that they'd brought with them for whatever reason. I was all over that thing. I was fascinated. So they gave me their reel-to-reel recording machine. Wow. So some of you are going to have no clue what I just said. <laughs> so basically, it's tape that is oxidized, goes over recording heads, and you can record stuff. That's how we used to do that back yeah. in the day. And then I remember, you know, thinking in high school, hey, radio thing might be kind of cool, but mm. never really pursued it. So went to uh, college in Calgary for two years, taking broadcasting, mm. and uh, walked out with a diploma in broadcasting. So it was television and radio that I was taught. So BJ, when I was a little kid, <laughs> I also had a reel-to-reel tape recorder. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So I started learning how to record with two cassette decks. Oh, yeah. I would use one cassette deck, and I would play the piano on it. Mm-hmm. And then I would bounce that to a second cassette deck while adding a guitar. Yeah. And then I would do that again, and I would add the bass, and then I would do that again and add the drums. By the time it got to three or four transfers, <laughs> yeah. though, the quality wasn't too good. <laughs> nope. That's how I learned to record. Mm. And that started... A fascination with recording for me. Mm-hmm. Eventually, my dad bought me a reel-to-reel four-track tape recorder. Oh, the piece de resistance. Four <laughs> tracks. Oh, yeah. Four tracks, yeah, BJ. Yeah. yeah. I could record three tracks. Yes, you could. And then I could bounce those three tracks yeah. down to the fourth track, and yeah. I would have three more well, tracks. And then you bounce those. <laughs> it was a bonanza. It was. I tell you what. So it was unlimited. <laughs> I know. So I'm gonna I'm gonna fast forward here because now I'm in the broadcasting industry and it, it changed about a thousand times while I was in it. But one of the stations I worked here in Vancouver, when I first walked into the production room, had a four-track tape machine. No way. Okay, we are seriously dating oh, ourselves, bro. Imagine you guys, you guys should oh, have met earlier. You, have had, you missed out on years. <laughs> oh, man, we could, we could probably tell audio stories all So that, broadcast but... college. So yes. now you got your yeah, degree. Yeah. We're good. Yeah, so I got my diploma at least anyway. Right. So I, so at least I have the basics to kind of get into the industry and yeah. see where it takes me. Yeah. So I started in 1986, graduated in 88, but summer of 87... I did an internship, one of those summer programs at CKGF, Grand Forks, Mm. BC. I had a choice when I graduated. My first offer in the broadcasting world was actually in television news. But I was like, I wasn't really into the news thing. I just wasn't. I loved music. I wanted to 
do fun stuff with music. And mm-hmm. so I went more to the production, on-air production side. That yeah. makes sense. Like after hearing about your past mm-hmm. and how music was such a big part of it growing mm-hmm. up and in your family and, oh, yeah. and then you're traveling around and it makes sense that you wouldn't really feel that pull to yeah. just being on TV. Yeah. But then you could have been involved in fake news. Yes, I could have. I could have. It could have back then, but let me let me qualify. Back then, we didn't back really have then, fake news. Though. It was yeah, all back, real. It was all real. That's right. <laughs> well, back then, it was a little... Maybe you could have changed different. the trajectory of the news yes, business. that is true. You could and have brought your instrument. Yes. I kind of played my trombone on air. And, segued you know. between <laughs> news stories with the trombone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've thought about that. And yeah, news a few years ago is different than it is now. That's for sure. Right. Mm. So year one was 1986, in the fall of 1986, I'm attending classes, and one day I'm like, man, I'm not feeling really great today. So I went to the college infirmary, and they kind of asked some questions and stuff, and you might want to go to emergency or something, see what's going on. You don't have a fever. That's all we can do. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, you know. So I went to the emergency room. So I'm in there, and they start probing and poking and asking questions, kind of how I was feeling and what's going on, and... You know, what's your lifestyle like and what do you do? And gave them all the answers I could. And after further examination, they were like, mm, I think we're going to keep you for a little while longer. We did some CAT scans and yeah, we're going to keep you some more. Meanwhile, my parents had gone away for like the first time in years and I'm not thinking much of it. I'm just in the hospital. No big deal. Well, apparently they got a phone call. Hey, just thought we'd let you know your son's in emerge. And so mom and dad came flying back from wherever they were. I'm like, why don't you guys just stay away? Because <laughs> like, it's mom and dad. Like, no okay? big deal. Like, I'm, I'm fine. Well, it turned out, eventually, after all the examinations and what that, they're like, guess what? We're going to have to do some exploratory surgery. And I'm like, why? Well, that escalated. Okay. Yeah. What I didn't know at the time was the reason I was feeling so yucky is because I was bleeding internally, but I didn't know that. Oh. Right? Long story short is they do exploratory surgery. Turns out I had a tumor in my abdomen. And, uh, and it was not benign. It was cancerous, about the size of a softball, I'm told. Wow. Yeah. The surgery is called a laparotomy. They have to basically go through all the layers of your abdomen. So meanwhile, I'm, I'm in the hospital, but not really understanding what's going on. A couple days into the process, I'm laying there. And my mom's in the room. So mom, what am I still doing here? What do you mean, what are you still doing here? I was like, I don't know why I'm here. Like, I know the surgery and everything, and, but what's going on? You mean they haven't told you? I'm like, Told me what? Well, you have cancer. I'm like, I'm 26. There's no way I have cancer. Yeah, you have cancer. I do not. Seriously, I don't have cancer. The doctors didn't tell no, you. No, nobody on staff told me anything. Like it was my mom. I eventually found out, again, there's a tumor the size of a softball and cancerous and all these things. And so that's kind of where it started. So we get through that process. There's all the options. So chemotherapy or this or that and radiation and all these things. Basically, they sewed me up, went through recovery. I'm still going to college. I started feeling okay again after that. So I opted not to do any chemotherapy at that point. Kind of went on with life. Not too bad. And then it was uh, in the fall of 87 that I started feeling really bad again. Mm. And they were like, you got to make a choice now. You can do chemotherapy or not. Might have some consequences you wouldn't like. So in the fall of 87, I opted to do chemotherapy. Not to take anything away from the people who were praying like crazy for me because they were. And I have no doubt that was part of the reason I'm sitting here today. Because all the time I've known you, you've always carried such a strong belief in the healing power of God and of his word. Mm -hmm. 
And you had a bunch of scriptures that were healing-based. You used to recite them. Well, what I used to do, I found every teaching on healing, everything I could get my hands on, and read and studied and ingested it into my being. And and even um, there were CDs, one CD is called Healing. (laughs) And it has a whole bunch of songs and scriptures and testimonies. And I wore that sucker out, letting it get right in here. I kind of look at you and I see a person who is alive because of the Word of God and who lives because of the Word of God. That is true. And there's just no other way to put it when it comes to BJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You live, eat, and breathe the Word of God and stand on it for your healing even to this day. Yeah, I still use that same CD. Even when I'm feeling great, goes in. I drive for a living now, so I have lots of time to sing, worship, talk to the Father, sing some more, sing the Word, Keep it moving inside here. And what I didn't know, let me go back to the whole cancer thing, is that when the chemotherapy was happening, it was over six weeks. So I had three courses over six weeks. So I'd go in a couple days, they would inject the chemicals, and then I'd come home or go to school or whatever I needed to do. Great friends would come in to visit. I didn't know the doctors had told them that I only had six months to live. So they'd come in and we'd chat and have fun. And then especially the girls, the girls would go out and then they'd just start balling well i didn't know this till later like i didn't find out way after the fact mom said did you know that like you only had six months no to one's live? telling you anything <clears throat> no, what no. Is even in the hospital i never put one of those stupid gowns on i my socks were on i wore whatever mm-hmm. clothes i wanted to i, I will was, not identify well, i just <laughs> i just didn't see me staying there and having this go badly i just never saw that i was the weird guy running around like street <laughs> clothes or whatever and not hanging I'm not staying here. But I didn't know, at least in some of the doctor's minds, it was that serious. Never did. Even during that time, I lost people to cancer. I'm like, how come they're gone and I'm still here? I can't answer that question except to say simply by the grace of God Mm -hmm. and ingesting, again, that word into me day and night, night and day, nonstop. And even today, it just never stops with you, even like you said, when there's nothing wrong. It's a matter of believing that we are the healed. The devil can't take our health away from us. And believe me, there have been times when something may not be feeling right down here, mm-hmm. and that little voice goes, oh, your cancer's back. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> like, no, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. Not a chance. Right. We've dealt with that. The lie mm-hmm. wants to come back. No, no, no. Yeah. Not happening. That was a mic drop. Solid. Mm-hmm. Bam. (laughs) Mike on the floor again. All right. You had a long career in the radio industry. Yeah, 24 years. 24 years. And during that time, you did everything from producing to some DJing, you said? Yeah. My first job was in Port Alberni, BC. The program director put me there doing news. Like, even though I went there... Reeled back in. I know. Even though I went there understanding that I was going to be hired as a DJ, he put me in news. Mm. You just can't get away from the news. Oh, (laughs) I know. I know. Well, actually, it was a point of contention because then he hired another guy who he put like straight on the air. And I'm like, hang on, hold the phone. Mm. So what's, what's up with that? And he's like, well, you can read the news well, and this guy can't. You know how to pronounce the names and stuff. Just because he can't do it, you hired me to do this, so. I just have a question here. Yeah, sure. This is really (laughs) random. (laughs) Go for it. But at this point in time, did you have your teeth? 
I'm just well, thinking. Oh, yeah. oh, that's why. So yes, <laughs> so yes. At 18, I was able to you, finally get crowns. You finally put got on. your crowns. Got okay, the crowns good. put on. So they had to rip out the old guys. Good to go then. Yeah, All right. Good. That would have been a cool news. Yeah. Toothless with his yeah. trombone. Yeah, yeah. Selling the real news. That would have been quite the image. That's an image in my mind right yeah, now. Yeah, you don't need that. I mean, let's go somewhere else. Okay, so <laughs> you finally got onto DJ broadcasting. Yeah, so finally I can play music and do the DJ thing. And Port Up Burning was great fun. I had a buddy who had all the best toys boats and quads and trucks that were just the best so we had so much fun yeah but yeah i'm cutting my teeth in radio so i'm basically doing everything reporting and news and dj and also the industry changed quite a bit i used to actually spin records we were still using discs to play music so i had to you know wait what you know cue it up and and then you know let them go and just two turntables and back and forth back and forth back and forth playing commercials and that is and crazy wow. i know crazy. i can tell you that the best song if you need to take a, a washroom break was gordon lightfoot's wreck of the edmund fitzgerald because it's like six minutes and ten <laughs> seconds cue that up okay quick break and often i was by myself and nobody else around if you mess it up it's all you so you have to know the songs and the length yeah okay yeah, this is yeah. a six minute bathroom yeah, break yeah. so when you were in the radio industry mm -hmm. what did ministry and sharing the gospel look like to you because i know that that's always been a huge part of your life yeah wherever you've been you obviously can't really share it on air but what were you doing in behind the scenes? Well, I think pretty much everyone I worked with knew what my personal stand was mm -hmm. in terms of my faith. Obviously tried to share it if I could, tried to live it for sure. To be fair, that was fairly easy in one instance where I worked for a Christian radio station here in the market. Mm -hmm. It was the first one in all of Canada. And the ministry kind of looked like if I could share my faith with people. Believe me, there were plenty of times I had discussions with people that they were agnostic or atheist or whatever, and mm -hmm. I to share what I believe and why. But what was cool about it is even if we disagreed vehemently, I mean, we're still friends and whatever. There was no like divide. It was just like, okay, you have your belief, I have mine, and we could still be great friends even though we vehemently disagreed on certain topics. So Unlike now cool. where families are divided over... Things. Things. <laughs> yeah. We shall not go into detail. Yes. Yeah. BJ, so, tell me about Christian radio, because I've always been interested how that came into being. I mean, when we were kids, there was no such thing. Mm -hmm. Now it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And yet I have Christian friends who refuse to listen to Christian radio mm -hmm. for various reasons. Mm -hmm. But I've always been interested in the process. Were you ever involved in any of the talks or any of the negotiations? Because it was a Canadian broadcasting thing. The CRTC... CRTC didn't allow niche radio stations. For the longest time, certainly didn't allow Christian radio stations. Right. They may have allowed niche radio stations, but maybe for other types of formats. Right. It was certainly a long, drawn-up process, and you have to make applications, jump through all kinds of legislative hoops. Eventually, I mean, the group I was with, they just kept plugging away at it, and they believed it was the right thing to do, and, and eventually the CRTC said, yes, you can have your... Your radio station. And once that first one happened, then it was kind of like a dam broke and yeah. many, many yeah. followed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Many more popped up after that mm -hmm. all across Canada. Christian radio and Christian television stations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because much. both of them were kind of held back for the longest time, yeah, right? They were. So what's the inside picture of Christian radio? Well, inside the curtain, we lost our Vancouver station. There were reasons for that. Part of the problem was the economics, right? I mean, mm -hmm. eventually the money just 
wasn't there to sustain the product. Bottom line, it is a product. Mm -hmm. It has to make money. And if it wasn't making money, then it had to go away. So much more opportunity now, partly because of the digital realm as well. There are endless programs from across Canada with a faith-based theme. Mm -hmm. Watch them all the time. In terms of radio, there are crazy opportunities still. And because of satellite as well, you can pretty much listen to anything you want to, including Christian formats. Right. Christian Satellite music. radio has changed things a lot. It has, very much so. And there was a day where I was like, nah, satellite's way out there. It's never going to have an impact. But today, totally different story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. After your career in broadcast, mm -hmm. you had a pretty major change again. You went from that, and I know that now you drive truck. Mm -hmm. There was a pretty big change there in direction. Mm-hmm. In the end, what happened with broadcast? Did it just change so much that there was no fit or? So in my case, the one major radio station I worked for is still going strong. Mm -hmm. Like there's still a top station in the market. But for me, what I understand my point of view is I could see that they were cycling out a lot of their higher paid, paid talent, especially the last five years I was there. Like the staple of that station mm -hmm. for years in various departments, sports and news or whatever. They just started moving them yeah, out. Yeah, some of the on-air talent too. I'd been away for a couple of weeks and came back from holiday, walked in the door Monday morning, ready to go. We'd hired a new voice for our radio station. I was all excited to work with them and, and get that going and do some stuff. you were stuff. producing, right? Yeah, yeah, I was production manager, yeah. Mm -hmm. So get asked to come to the program director's office at 10 o'clock, pad and paper, I'm ready to take notes, do whatever, and I see the, the general manager standing there, and I'm like, mm, I don't think this is going where I think it's going to go. Mm. Sure enough. Dismiss me. Technically, they said I was no longer a fit for the radio station. Mm. Okay, I'm not sure what that means, but anyway. At that point, I was uh, traveling in the, called the van pool. Several riders would take a van into Vancouver, and then we'd ride home together. So I had to stay in the radio station all day. Go so you were in a van pool. Yeah, a van pool, yeah. And you yeah. had to wait. I had to wait all to go home. Because I couldn't just leave, because everybody else is relying on right. the van to go home, right? Mm. So... That was it. That was a horrific, oh, tough day. There are days every day I missed that industry. It was yeah. so fun. I mean, I did try to get back into the industry, but the position I was at in the Vancouver market, there's maybe half a dozen people who do what I do, and they weren't going anywhere. Sometimes we have to look at things like that as assignments. Mm -hmm. You know, the father has an assignment for you in a certain area, and then the assignment changes. Mm -hmm. I know that radio, I'm going to say in the last 10 years, has changed drastically. Mm -hmm. It's taken this like sharp turn, a really different feel and look. And I think they're trying to appeal to uh, a different audience. And I wonder if the market shares are just decreasing because there's so many other options out there. Mm -hmm. You know, you grab a phone and you can watch and listen. And yeah. people that are listening to radio are, are commuters. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how much it gets listened to the rest yeah. of the time. Yeah. I'm going to, tell a couple stories about that. Technically, I'm a commuter. I drive for a living, so I, I listen to the radio. So the future of accurate information really is situations like this. Podcasts, you can just dive into some good topics and, mm -hmm. and discuss them and talk them out and have a really great cerebral discussion about what's going on. It is the future for sure. Mainstream media, and some of that includes radio to a certain degree, they just don't tell the truth anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm going to maybe add some context to that. So I remember uh, when I was working at a, a major corporation, we had a commercial come in and basically the content was about an artist that was coming to do a concert. And the line was, hear the hits, see the 
fill in the blank. It rhymes with okay, hits. Okay, right. This is in this commercial. Do we run this commercial or not? And it was resounding, no, there's no way we run that in this market. They can change it. We'll run the commercial, but without that in it. Today, I'm not so sure that would happen. In a society level, the amount of degradation we now allow to come through the airwaves, whether TV or radio or otherwise, is way different than it was. Yeah, going lower. Yeah. Every year it seems to change. In the end, what do you feel is the father's heart for media? Well, the father's heart for media is ultimately truth. Truth is not really relative. Some people think it's relative, but it's not. Truth is truth. I mean, gravity is true whether you believe in it or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to test it, go on your roof and take a step. And go see. ahead and grab a yeah. stick. Yeah, yeah grab a stick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Put it through a rope. Yeah. You had to go there. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a perfect analogy. Uh, mm. that the future is, again, people who can speak the truth in love. That's the way it's going to go. It's not going to get any smaller. And I know there are platforms that I follow. They've used all the normal social media you know, outlets. But if, if some have come to the point where it's like, no, we can't rely on those anymore because, A, they're going to possibly censor us with their algorithms, basically shut our opinion out. So they've built their own platforms and they have their own subscription-based or not. So they can just do what they need to do and tell the truth and not have to answer to some algorithmic God somewhere. Right. So I think, again, the future is, is this. There was a day where you couldn't do this. The technology didn't exist. The digital world changed everything. Mm -hmm. So now we have an opportunity where anybody can say anything, which is good and bad, right? Right. Mm. What we're doing here, I believe, is to the ultimate good and truth. What a great opportunity. It's crazy to me to think that we can do what we do and put it out there. People listen to it and or not. Mm. People have opinions, but that's okay. Well, unfortunately, there's both the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, right. there's like you can have people of faith who are just guano nuts, and then there's those who really honestly in their heart are trying to share the word of God and their faith and how important that is in their life. And that's what we're talking about here today. It's, it's our story. My life changed at eight years old. Hasn't been the same since. What a wild and crazy ride. It's been so fun. Outside of that, I don't know where I'd be or what I'd be. Well, I know what I'd be. It'd be a mess. It'd be awful. Being able to blast this all over the planet, what an awesome, crazy thing. Mm -hmm. You know? I mean, there was a day, you know, like tens of thousands of dollars of equipment and a transmitter and this and that. Mm -hmm. Not now. This will continue. It's not going to get any smaller. Mm -hmm. It'll get larger. The father will take things and implant something in somebody's heart somewhere. I mean, I'm sitting here, I'm just a kind of a regular guy, but here I sit by the grace of God, able to say, look, I had an encounter with a divine being that changed everything about me. I chose to follow that, and that's why there's so much passion to share the gospel, because what it did to me. Wow, and even when you're walking through these really challenging experiences, like going through cancer, mm -hmm. To be able to share with someone that you'll probably never meet ever mm -hmm. on air, mm -hmm. the hope you had in the Lord and that faith and that comfort from the comforter. The other option was fear and hopelessness and worry. And even when you have those feelings come like, oh, it's back, that <laughs> fear trying to get in, right? Mm -hmm. You still got the comforter. He's in you. And being able to share that with people, mm -hmm. it's just broadened our circle of influence mm -hmm. that's really what this technology can do yeah and wasn't that what's great about jesus he was relatable he understood what you were going through the funnest part of the bible is, is the way jesus reacted with people he was an anomaly he pushed back against the religious culture of the time even though these are 
God's chosen people, they'd still somehow kind of messed it up. But to watch him weave his way into people's hearts and minds and change their existence, fun to watch. Mm -hmm. After broadcast, you went a completely different direction. Mm -hmm. You drive. I do. And when you're driving, you listen, you pray. You sing in your truck. But you don't play trombone while you're driving. Yeah, so yeah. instead of your truck horn, you just yeah, yeah. lean out with your trombone and give them a... <laughs> <laughs> what I'm interested in hearing, yes. just as we close today, when you're worshiping in your truck, when you're driving, when you're singing, when you're praying, praying in the Spirit, mm-hmm. what do you hear the Father saying? Well, for me, there's so many things going on in our world. It's easy to get distracted by a lot of different things. Right. And some of them are very, very important. There's no question. But at the end of the day, it's like my relationship with the Father is what's important here. I hope that that infusion of the Father and me is like a nuclear blast and spreads out to everybody else who can see it. I mean, I had the opportunity the other day to talk to a fellow driver a little bit. He's had some tragedy in his life. He's familiar with religion, but I always joke with him. I say, so dude, when are you going to join the team? He's like, oh, no, man, I'm too bad for that. Like, there's no way. And it's like religious pushback in the sense that, no, I'm never going to be good enough. And then that's not how I play. And I'm like, well, you know what? If it was based on how good we are, none of us are going to get there. And I just lovingly and jokingly, we kind of joke about it. I said, you know, like, we're all there. No different than you. I told him, look, it's a vertical relationship. I mean, his wife goes to church involved in Bible studies and stuff, but he won't darken the door of a church necessarily anymore just because the tragedy put him off God, as it were. And I think it, I think it's starting to sink in a little bit. Yeah, and get I'll some keep, thinking different. Get yeah. his eyes off of people yeah. and get his eyes onto yes. the Lord. To say specifically what the Father has said, necessarily. I mean, we spend a lot of time together and I just try and listen and make sure that if someone has a question about my faith, I have a good answer as to why and how it changed me and what I've experienced in my life. Because we all have different experiences. So I just try to keep an accurate, open heart to the Father. And he says, hey, just maybe talk to that person or pray with that person. Try to be available to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have one more question for you, BJ. Yeah, yeah. What are your dreams? My dreams are Probably to still find a way to travel the planet sharing the gospel again. That would be so fun to do. Being a pastor and sharing the gospel are not necessarily the same thing. They can be, but not necessarily. Mm-hmm. And like I said, early in my life, I thought that was my calling to be a pastor, and clearly that was not the way to go. But sharing the gospel, sharing my faith, sharing my passion for what the Father has done, that's something we're called to do. If you don't know what else to do with your life, just start there just by sharing your faith as often as you can like your calling will fall into place just obey and start sharing the gospel preach jesus him crucified whatever you got to do i'm sure there's a point where whether in the near future or distant future i'm sure michelle and i will be even if it's just temporary just going to another country getting involved in some ministry sharing the gospel just enriching people's lives just bringing jesus to them i feel like a couple of weeks ago when michelle was here kind of hearing her heart and hearing now yours, it's very evident how similar they are. And I do feel like there's going to be a time coming when the two of you will get to realize some of those things together. Mm-hmm. I feel that really strongly. Yeah. I'll receive that. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> you said you had something to share. Well, it was interesting that when I was thinking about this show, been reading this 
this book by a Christian author. It's Jonathan Kahn. He's talking about cultural influences. And at this point in the story, it's called the Josiah Manifesto because Israel's gone completely off the rails in their old kingdom. Josiah's dad was just an evil, evil man. And I mean, they've gone pagan. They're building altars. They're doing things that they should not be doing as God's chosen people. So there's a coup. Josiah's father's killed. Josiah comes to power at eight years old. And basically, he has a heart for God, and he starts the process of cleansing the land and taking down the altars and taking out all the things that basically was not a part of the contract at all. They actually took the statue of Baal and the temple that Baal was in, and they turned it into a public toilet. (laughs) (laughs) It actually says that in that story. That's one thing that is funny. So now Josiah starts the process of bringing God's chosen people back to true worship and proper relationship. I was reading through here and I saw this one phrase and I wrote, let's go up because I totally thought of you guys. So Jonathan's suggesting that as Josiah was in his culture, we as Christians need to be in our culture. And there's a little uh, chapter here called the mountain principle. He writes, the most important direction in the lives and callings of God's people is up. It is the upward path that brings every road pathway and footsteps into perfect convergence in the exact place and at the exact time, let's go up, made me think of you, because mm-hmm. that's exactly what we're doing here. What's your favorite scripture verse? Well, this one I've said every day I can think of, and it's Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Mm. If you had one thing to say to our let's go uppers, yeah, <laughs> as we call them, <laughs> yeah. Yes. What would you say? If we said something that, you know, you're kind of going, hey, that was kind of interesting what they said, and I need to know more, or I don't have that kind of relationship that they're talking about, well, then maybe ask us some questions, find out what's going on, maybe be a little more curious about what's going on in your life and the world and find the right answers. Truth. Find yeah. truth. Yeah, I love that. Be curious. The wonder and the curiosity, mm-hmm. like leaving that door open, not having to close it, because you don't understand it or you're not there yet. That's what I had told my husband before he knew the Lord. Mm-hmm. He's like, I hope you're not waiting for me to believe in God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not going to fake it. I'm like, you don't have to try to believe in God. Just stop trying not to. Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Just leave it blank. Leave that door blank. There's no reason for you to believe he doesn't exist or this isn't real. You don't have to try and force it. So just leave that page open. Leave the page blank. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And And invite him to fill it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Because your story's not over. No. So thanks for coming today, BJ, and sharing your life and your heart with us, for giving us a window into how you think and how you feel, how you survived a lot of things and how the Word of God sustains you. In listening to your story and your testimony, one thing stands out to me. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Even when something happens, when you start feeling something or whatever, it's like, no, fear does not enter. And I think that's actually a huge key right there. I've noticed one thing when it comes to sickness in my own body. It gains a foothold in you when you start to fear it. The moment it comes and the moment you start to feel something Our initial reaction is fear. Mm -hmm. And the moment that we fear is the moment that it grabs and it starts coming in and invading. But if you can say, no, I will not fear. Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Listen to this, Dean and BJ. (laughs) 
<laughs> and you guys. This is Isaiah 51. The Lord says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid? It's like, what right do we have to be who afraid? Who are you that you should you be afraid? Isaiah 51, verse love 12. It. Instead of expecting fear when there's a potential situation, what if we expected comfort because he's comforted us or because of the comfort you've received from him, you're able to comfort others. So we can expect his comfort and his presence and his hand on whatever comes. Oh yeah. Is there anything we're going to face he hasn't already dealt with? No. Mm. Is he going to fall off his throne when something happens to us? No. We might fall off of a stick. We might. And hit the pavement. But he hasn't fallen off his throne. No. Oh. Okay. Wow, That's- Dean. <laughs> wow. Not yeah. Bam. Not quite a mic drop, but a bam. <laughs> All right. That's where we're going to leave it today. So thanks for joining us today. Mm -hmm. This has been an awesome conversation. We've enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Thank you again, BJ. My honor. Mm. So if you've enjoyed this conversation, consider hitting like and or subscribe. And you could also share. There's also the notification bell Mm -hmm. if you want to be harassed. It's a harassment. It's it's not that annoying, Dean. Once a week. One little ding. It's not like a morning One little ding. That's right. (laughs) We also have a website. It's letsgoup.us. If you want to know more about our podcast, you can always go there. Everything Let's Go Up related is located in one spot. Hope you have an awesome week, and we will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.